0: Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. In February of 2017, the National Post reported that a former editor at Vice Canada had operated a cocaine smuggling ring, partly out of Vice's Toronto offices, which involved soliciting young, precarious Vice interns and employees to smuggle suitcases lined with bricks of cocaine into Australia. The editor's name is Yaroslav Pastikov, also known as Slava P. The Post's reporters, Adrian Humphreys and Sean Craig, did a fine job of documenting the crime, a crime which resulted in five kids going to jail in Australia. But one thing that they were not able to report on is the story of Slava P. himself, in his own words. Slava refused to speak to the press then, this past September, when he pled guilty, still not a word from Slava in the papers. However, one year ago, an email was sent to Canada Land from Slava. The subject line read, We should chat. Slava went on the record with us about his crimes, and those interviews took us on an investigative journey that led to more people involved speaking out on the record for the first time to us. And the result of that extensive investigation is our upcoming true crime podcast, hosted by Canada Land senior producer, Kasia Mihailovic. It is the definitive story of the cocaine smuggling ring inside Vice Canada. I am very excited to present to you now our next true crime show, Cool Mules. seat has been a big part of their story from the very beginning.
1: When Vice Canada decided to open up its music vertical, I was the first choice to be that up. I think the official charges I'm in for conspiracy to import commercial quantities of cocaine into Australia.
0: He approached people who were earning small amounts of money, and he was offering them $10,000 for uh, you know a couple weeks' work. They thought they were being approached with a freelance gig for Vice.
1: You know, I don't really have anything against the sale of drugs, but the way that he propositioned me and propositioned other people and the sort of that to me is like predatory. This sounds like an easy money. This sounds like a, a no risk all reward type of type of scheme. It really did sound too good to be true. Basically sounded like a multi-level
0: marketing scheme
1: but for drug trafficking.
0: Yeah, I mean, drugs have played uh, an important part of ICE throughout its history.
1: When you build a place that is basically, they pay you in coolness, and you stay there because of coolness, you start being worried about how that currency might leave you. There's people who now have suffered, who have lost all the time that I've had since. To think about it, they haven't. They've just sat in a... At this point, he knows he's going to prison. He has no incentive to tell you the truth. Anything I say, I have to worry about either cartels, the police, or the media. Bullshit. Bullshit. Just straight up and down bullshit. I think this podcast is a bad idea. My name is Kasha Mihailovich, and this is Cool Mules, an original investigation from Canada Land Media coming this January, 2020.
0: As you just heard, Cool Mules will be debuting this winter, but you can subscribe to it right now, and you'd actually be doing us a favor if you did. And the last thing I want to say about Cool Mules before we get on with today's show has to do with our crowdfunder this month. And that is that, as you know, When we do the crowdfunder, we ask you to fund new initiatives and projects. This time, we want to fund a new investigative series about Niagara Falls and a postscript to our Thunder Bay podcast, both of those to be hosted by Ryan McMahon. And then you decide if we should do them or not by funding us or not. But what if a story comes to us outside of crowdfunding season, as this Vice story did? A news organization has to be able to move quickly to take advantage of those opportunities. And it's news. It has to be reported in a timely way. We're at the point now where, because we want to do that, we just do it. And Kasia, who was working full-time on Canada Land, jumped at the opportunity to report this story and produce it with me and host it. And so she's been doing that and senior producing Canada Land. So she has been working like a maniac. We have hired people to come and give some relief. And Jordan Cornish has been doing a wonderful job helping on Canada Land. All of which to say is that we are doing everything we can with what we have. But we really do need to have more supports for our people. We really make the most with every dollar you send us. It's a very simple equation. We do more journalism with more resources. And this is our one opportunity this month to ask. I'm asking. We are a long way from our goals. We still need your help. Go to patreon.com CanadaLand. Thank you. Yellow Vests, Proud Boys, Soldiers of Odin, The Three Percenters, Le Mute, Incels, Wexiteers? When can I stop caring about these people? Somehow this has become part of our thing. It was never supposed to be our thing. For me, covering the media meant covering people with power, people with a platform. It never meant paying much mind to the sweatiest horniest, ugliest, and angriest corners of public discourse. I remember a time when Canada's Nazis and crackpots were in the basement, shoved into a dark corner where they belonged. I mean, there are always going to be some hateful people out there whose hearts and minds will never be changed. And, you know, because I don't think that they should be imprisoned for their beliefs or forcibly silenced, I am very much in favor of ostracizing them and ignoring them. Fine by me. But then, they were no longer ignorable. Sun News Television was ignorable. Sometimes it rose to the level of mockable, but mostly ignorable. Nobody watched it. Then The Rebel was born, and it was hugely popular. Nazis and Klansmen in silly costumes were ignorable. But then Richard Spencer got a haircut and put on a suit, and a bunch of bigots in tan slacks marched on Charlottesville, and any hesitation about covering them went out the window. You don't need to worry about signal-boosting these guys. They had a platform. Their signal was strong. And any worries about fear-mongering, about getting people scared of something that, you know, people don't really have to worry about, well, that all went out the window, too. We've had a mosque shooting, an incel attack. Those teenagers last summer who killed three people in B.C., one of them was into Nazi shit. If anything, these guys needed way more scrutiny, Most of them had blasted all kinds of warnings online before they actually hurt people. So our work became explicitly about not ignoring them, instead rigorously examining them. And other media, too. McLemoreau and Vice, lurking in discussion forums, found neo-Nazis in the Canadian military. The Globe and Mail delved into some of these online forums. The Toronto Star put people on this. Rooting out these assholes became a beat in Canadian journalism. And a really needed one, too, to put a check on the other media representation that these groups were getting. The soldiers of Odin were getting nice write-ups in local newspapers for shoveling snow from their neighbors' driveways. The grievances of the Yellow Vesters were patiently listened to on national radio on the CBC— presented as an economic grievance of the working class, while the Yellow Vest's constant calls to hang Trudeau for treason and end immigration outright because of some globalist conspiracy, that stuff got downplayed or just completely ignored. So because these groups got so good at the media, got good at cleaning up their images, their brands, because of that, a big part of our media criticism became about scrutinizing the faith goalies of the world digging through the muck of their histories to find out what they were really about, what they really believe, so they couldn't lie about it, and maybe so other media would have that as a handy reference when they wrote about them. We were trying to get you ready, preparing you with information so you could make informed choices when some of these people cleaned up nice and passed themselves off as legitimate candidates of, say, the People's Party of Canada. But the PPC was a bust. Bernier did not get one seat. And that's got to be a moment of reflection for us. Did we overplay the threat? Is it possible that Canada really is better than the United States in this respect? That kind of extreme right populism, it might exist here, but it's not getting into our mainstream politics, maybe. Because if we don't take this moment to reflect, if we double down searching for Nazis, well, I fear we could become something ugly ourselves, something that scares people for no reason. I mean, in a worst case scenario, if we were to lose all perspective, we could become part of the problem. We could become that hammer that is always in search of a nail, finding Nazis and bigots where none exist. Today, I want to explore that. I want to take that moment of reflection with the help of a fellow journalist who has also been on this beat. Stephen Joe is a freelance investigative reporter focusing on national security and Islamophobia. His work can most recently be found in Vice News. He joins me in our Toronto studio. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Benjamin Uden, Maureen E. Evers Jocelyn Brown, Jordan Shaw Young. Lucas Cavanaugh, John Hoyle, Ashley Boucher, and Jeffrey Michaud.
1: My name is Jeffrey from Edmonton, Alberta. I support Canada Land because it helps me interpret the news in a way that doesn't trigger my anxiety. In the current media hellscape that we live in, so much of it is so incredibly sensationalized that it is nice to hear a voice of reason who interprets it in a way that doesn't make me feel like my hair is on fire.
0: Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month. The wonderful swag that we have in our crowdfunder, the socks that we were offering, sorry, they're sold out. Those were provided to us by Sock Club and Sock Club makes amazing socks. And the lucky people who got those socks are showing them off on social media and they are damn cozy. So check out Sock Club. Thank you for the socks. Also the t-shirts, which you can still get in our crowdfunder, those are by Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled, a Toronto-based t-shirt and everything else company. Check them out online. If you ever need t-shirts for the thing you're doing, they're the place you want to go. Hi, Stephen. Hi, I feel like we've sort of established this beat, and by we I mean the media writ large, where you've got the work that you've been doing and the stars have been doing this and we've been doing this and all these different groups and we're, we're watching them, we're trying to infiltrate what they're saying online and go to their rallies and there's been a lot of concern about this and now there's a feeling of almost like the balloons being deflated with this last election. It's like Proud Boys and Yellow Vests and Sons of Odin, oh my. Has the rise of the extreme right in Canada
1: been greatly exaggerated? I think whenever you put the media onto something, there's the media magnifying glass, and there's inevitable some degree of exaggeration in terms of the scope of the problem, probably. But I don't think that necessarily means, like, you therefore have a decrease or, you know, a minimal amount of these people organizing behind closed doors or doing what they're doing. So if it were not worth covering, if it were such a small problem, you wouldn't have somebody like Andrew Scheer, this past campaign especially, incorporating so much of the uh, kind of right-wing populist talking points into his messaging.
0: That's really interesting, because you spend a lot of time in the forums where these various groups congregate and discuss, and then you see some of the same kind of language in Scheer's rhetoric, and you feel like, okay, well, that's the dog whistle, so it's not necessarily a question that this was sort of the defeat of the alt-right or the extreme right, but almost like, yes, Bernier's party lost, but meanwhile, the mainstream conservative candidate is echoing some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, yes, Bernier's party lost, but his party accrued, I think, over a quarter million votes. I mean, he had candidates running in pretty much all 338 ridings. Many, many, many of them have, just look at their Twitter timeline or Facebook or whatever, it's obvious that they're racist, right? hmm but um, you could say the same for several of Andrew Scheer's candidates. There was a lady in Mississauga Streetsville, Gadna Malik, who was reported by Vice, by National Post, to have like a very prolific history of homophobia, Islamophobia, to the point where the PC government in Ontario, when they were led by Patrick Brown, wouldn't let her run. And then she was allowed to run at the federal level. By she
0: was any. too racist for Patrick Brown, That's but right. she was okay by She Scheer. was okay
1: by Scheer. There is obvious mainstreaming, but it's backed by a good portion or segment of the Canadian population that is curious or sympathetic to this kind of worldview. And the question is what the gap is in terms of like, okay, them believing this stuff and them being actually organized. And then you can see different kinds of signs like, okay, there's WEXIT with their campaign. There is, you know, people on the in the streets coming out every month a couple of years ago to do anti-immigration, anti-Trudeau anti-muslim demonstrations around uh motion 1103 and that kind of thing. It's part of our job is to point out where this kind of sentiment is coalescing into organized forms of civic action. And that was done kind of on the
0: reg leading up to the election and it was interesting to me that you know if if eight people in you know 3% or sons of odin you yeah. know if they congregated that would get a story yeah. or the yellow vests you know as we pointed out in the show before there were not a lot of yellow vests to that that huge United We Roll rally that came to mm-hmm. Ottawa. Compare that to like Climate March or something like that. It's yeah, just, but it got an incredible amount of attention. I
1: get it, man. Yeah, I, I understand the the frustration around that. I think it's very hard to get a kind of like a balance in terms of. I think you do have to point these people out. Take the Wex example, Wex at Alberta with Peter Downing an uh, ex-RCMP officer who put up all these billboards a year ago about Justin Trudeau leading us to a civil war. Those are his his words. And above that text, he had like, is it communism, socialism? Is it uh, normalizing pedophilia? That kind of thing. And this is somebody who believed that uh, the Trudeau Foundation is involved in a pedophile ring akin to what happened in the United States with Pizzagate. So he's the leader, the founding can leader you, of this. Can you say that again? I mean, I almost w- didn't even want to say the word Wexit today because it sounds so ridiculous. But here we are. Here we are, man. So, yeah. so
0: somebody who's pro-Western
1: secession. Uh, the, the founder. The founder of the quote-unquote Alberta Wexit campaign that got a lot of steam. The founder. founder. Who's
0: putting up billboards saying that, that we're, we're heading towards a civil war. Also believes that Trudeau is, is somehow endorsing affiliate yeah. in like a Pizzagate oh, conspiracy this is, kind of this...
1: He put up those billboards in Alberta through a third-party lobbying group called Alberta Fights Back, mm-hmm. and you know it was just billboards that asked, "Is Trudeau leading us to a civil war?" That's in big red text, and then above that, he put up all these like smaller phrases like "normalizing pedophilia," this, that, and the other. So I asked him, I asked him an article, like, "What do you mean by normalizing pedophilia?" And he told me. Very matter-of-factly, he said, look, like, if you go to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau scholarship funding organization out in Ottawa, right, they do an annual report every year. The annual report they put out three years ago has a big symbol on it, a triangular symbol, that matches what the FBI unearthed a few years ago in an investigation on a pedophile ring, and they find that this is the same symbol that uh, pedophiles use to communicate with each other about what, you know, what kind of proclivities they have.
0: Oh, God. And some of the other stuff in that building. He's billboard. doubled down on this yeah. several times. So speaking of Peter Downing and the media's sort of endless appetite to kind of entertain these ideas and, oh, Western alienation, let's talk about that. CBC has been playing this clip of Peter Downing. This is the Wexit Alberta leader, Peter Downing, I think, at a recent rally. The day after the election, Husky laid off 200 people. And Canada has now moved south of the border right now. Our farmers are hurting. We're seeing legislated deindustrialization in Alberta the exact same way that we've seen legislated deindustrialization in the fisheries in um, in Atlantic Canada, manufacturing sectors, mining, all those kinds of things. We are not, as Alberta's going to sit around and, and wait on the government to give us a, a welfare check. It's not happening. We're separating, and it's, that's what's going to happen. So I think, you know, he sounds passionate, but he's making yeah. what seem like kind of reasonable complaints. And, and, you know, I think he's presented as somebody who is really cares about this stuff and wants to be heard. What do you think is missing from a presentation like that by CBC?
1: I think you have to point out his background. It matters that he, up until very recently, partnered with a guy named Patrick King, who was part of the his inner circle and who calls himself Peter Downing's right-hand man. Actually, up until the the article I wrote for, for Vice.com, was going around Alberta and I think Saskatchewan as well together talking about Wexit and King has, is like an open sympathizer of neo-Nazi ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, there are clips of him online that um, people have downloaded of him talking about, you know, the globalists trying to dilute the um, Anglo-Saxon bloodline by uh, doing XYZ.
0: There's an end game called depopulation of the Caucasian race, or the Anglo-Saxon. And that's what the goal is, is to depopulate the Anglo-Saxon race, because they are the ones with the strongest
1: bloodlines. It matters that these people are leading the campaign for uh, Alberta to secede, but they're the ones who are at the forefront of galvanizing Canadians who feel like they've been left behind or being told that they've been left behind by Ottawa. I think that's, that's dangerous. My point is you have to point out that this kind of person yeah. is behind the movement. Well, OK, I agree with you. And I yeah. think these things
0: have to be pointed out. I'm just trying to look at it from the other point of view to yes. say it can be kind of a sick kind of entertainment to enter into the world of these nutjobs and to gawk at them and to point out just how ludicrous their belief system is. Yeah. Do they represent anything significant? So WEGZIT, this like idiotic idea of Western separatism, which itself a lot of people in BC are saying like, leave
1: me out of this. BC is <laughs> not a part of it. Yeah, It's so. more like prexit People are calling prexit now. Prairie. Exit. Oh, God, I've heard Albexit.
0: So how much credibility or time should should we be giving this? And what's the mood after the election? Is this losing steam or is it gaining steam?
1: Look, not that many people come out to the the rally. There was one on Saturday. It was like 700 people. But the sentiment, I think, is real. You also documented the online following, which I have to
0: say that number did take me back a little bit.
1: Yeah, and the question is still there whether or not it's an inflated number with bots and uh, different kinds of like ways to you can manipulate those numbers online. I'm not an expert on that. With that in mind, as of right now, at least a quarter million likes or members for the uh, VoteWexit.com group on Facebook. And Alberta Wexit has at least 30,000 likes and 10,000 likes for Peter Downing himself. A lot
0: of people have taken from the People's Party of Canada's total failure to win even one seat a very happy lesson that they conclude from this that what has worked all across the world has failed here. Mm-hmm. failed with Kelly Leach, and it failed with Maxime Bernier. To pick on somebody in particular, Justin Ling, writing in Foreign Policy, wrote, uh, Bernier's failure is a tale of how populism can fail. Is that the right lesson to take from this party's failure?
1: To an extent, it is. But I would say I'm not heartened by the fact that 25,000 people vote for, you know, Faith Goldie in in Toronto, there's a difference between how much of the population is sympathetic or believe in that kind of a, mm-hmm. that kind of a worldview. And that's enough of a problem for a person of color like myself. Okay. You don't have to be a organized political entity for you to be dangerous. This is a snapshot, a quarter million people voting for the PPC throughout Canada. Yeah. is a snapshot of part of the problem, that problem in, in Canada. And I would say that it's, been a, f- I don't know, a, f- a few years since 2015. When, if you want to use uh, the the rise of quote, unquote, rise of Donald Trump as a kind of measure for when this problem started, it takes time for this kind of organizing to to coalesce into anything significant. Nothing happens this year or the yeah. year before. But I don't know what's going to happen in the future.
0: But you just brought up something interesting. Just in bringing up Trump as the comparison point, I, like I kind of feel like people who are taking that lesson from Bernie's failure are ignoring the obvious. When this kind of populism was offered on the political menu in other countries, most significantly in the United States, it was not through some new fringe party that was created simply to give that stuff a voice. If Donald Mm -hmm. Trump had run under some vanity project party that he created just for himself, Mm -hmm. I think he would have been laughed off the political stage. It's the fact that he was able to hijack the Republican Party and take those ideas. So I think that had Maxime Bernier won the conservative leadership, which he almost did. Yeah. Very, very, like he won 12,600 votes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's incredible to me how close he came. If he had been the candidate, I kind of feel like he would have won. I kind of feel like he would have taken more of these ideas into his campaign. And unlike Shear, I take your point that he was kind of very mildly. He was working and in integrating some signals to this base, but he was not giving it a full-throated... I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you look at the, the Donald Trump playbook, yeah. don't be subtle. You take it right on, and you say, yeah, I said it, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, in Canada, Doug Ford played from that playbook and won. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if conservatism in Canada, now that it's having its whole hedge-scratching, what's the future of conservatism, it's sort of like, well, you didn't do the thing that conservative victories have had going for them everywhere else,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is don't treat these radicals and deplorables like they were deplorables, Mm -hmm. embrace them and you'll win. I can't help but kind of imagine some sci-fi, you know, alternate reality of Canada where that that seems like it was very, very possible had that gone a different way.
1: And I I wouldn't say that Andrew Scheer was always subtle with it, this campaign. You know, he wasn't subtle with when he announced his border security plan near the end of the campaign where he mentioned that one of the big reasons to bulk up security along the U.S. border is uh, gang violence. And one of those gangs is MS-13. He said that yeah, and didn't come across as subtle to me. Donald Trump's very frequent. Purely, it's a yeah, cop- Trumpian. carbon copy.
0: I'll tell you something though, the, the, the rhetoric and the content might be a carbon copy, but I don't think that she ever succeeded in connecting with people on that emotional level. No, And in fact, he hires Warren Kinsella to paint Bernier. as as the nut job, and he won't be seen next to Doug Ford. So I think he was trying to kind of fashion some sort of moderate Canadian, you know, way of of having his cake and eating it too. And I I think that that failed. You know, this was a disastrous election for
1: them. And I wonder if that's the lesson they learned is don't half step it. That's a good question. But I I do think to your point, there's a kind of an internal battle for where the Conservative Party ought to go from here. And right now they're trying to have it both ways. They have long been trying to capitalize off of this um, populism phenomenon. You know, like, you can't overlook the fact that he, Andrew Shear's director of outreach, for example, was a founder, one of the founding either members or advisors of, of an anti-Muslim group. Mm-hmm. Then Hamish Marshall. And then Hamish Marshall also, yeah. you know, worked out of, you know, Rebel Media headquarters for a bit mm-hmm. when they're really, really known for being really bad in 2015. So the larger question of whether or not I'm happy about or like, you know, I I feel like this is indications that we're moving towards a brighter future and past this far-right populist moment in Canada, there's no reason to say that.
0: Is there a reason from your direct experience with these forums to say the opposite? And I know that what you know, it's very hard to define this stuff because you're talking about the concerns of a Wexit separatist are very different than the concerns of an anti-immigration Maxime Bernier fan from Quebec are very different than, you know, an inland BC. like There are so many different groups and associations and it's just become this weird umbrella where some people are, are really just interested in, you know, pipelines and oil patch and other people are saying, let's hang Trudeau and, okay, well, let's roll together might as well. yeah So in the aftermath, are you getting a sense, like, has, has it been blown to smithereens once more and these different groups are
1: festering, and you know, licking their wounds after the election, or or are they more organized? I think Is they're there... I think they're galvanized by Shear's loss, yeah. because now mainstream conservatism has lost, and now something has to take the place right. of that. I don't necessarily see these different patches, as you as you say, as totally separate in terms of their sentiment and ideology. I feel like they all really just can't stand Justin Trudeau for one. yeah. And they all believe that he's letting in ISIS terrorists through the Quebec border in order to kill true blood Canadians as one of the Wexit people told me.
0: They share like this great replacement thing and, and a lot of it is white nationalism. Absolutely. But do they all? I mean like y- you've also documented the traction that far right ideas have gotten in Chinese Canadian communities.
1: Yes. Can you talk oh, about yeah. that a bit? Oh, yeah. And that kind of, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I mean, I spent a lot of time in um, Scarborough North, the, the writing. The liberals won pretty handily in the end. And I followed around the, the NDP candidate who was going door to door. And every other person or like every three or third or fourth house that we went to, somebody said something about, quote unquote, illegal border crossers coming over to make their community unsafe or they're talking about Justin Trudeau about uh legalized drugs hard drugs after he's legalized uh cannabis and the conservative party has been pushing this kind of messaging on their chinese facebook page that's documented by i mean the cbc reported on it everybody reported on it and that's what worries me the quote unquote mainstream canada like a party that's certainly has the potential to govern in Canada is willing to dabble in this level of misinformation mm-hmm. or you could you could say disinformation. I think it's fair to say that they went to that level, and the Chinese community is you know I don't want to say everybody believes that, but they're certainly working on that community because nobody else is where the progressive end of the the spectrum is not in that community. Mm-hmm. And the conservative, ever since Jason Kenney or whoever else, have been trying to galvanize that community to win in the GTA, to win in Peel. And they're going to keep on doing that.
0: But building a coalition that includes that community would mean putting people who believe in the great replacement (laughs) theory that immigrants are trying to to
1: push white people off of this continent. Most citizens, Chinese-Canadian citizens, voters in, let's say, Scarborough North, probably don't even know what the replacement theory is. But, okay... There was a anti-refugee protest in Markham last year, last summer, featuring a group of organizers, Chinese-Canadian organizers. Long story short, they do sympathize with people like Faith Goldie, Mm -hmm. who basically are kind of shills for that Great Replacement kind of um, brand of messaging. And they came out a few months after that at, I believe, Mel Lastman Square in North York, for this like funeral for this girl who died at the hands of a Syrian refugee in Vancouver. And they use that as a way to talk about how this country is irresponsibly taking in Muslim refugees who are, you know, rapists and and all that stuff. Is there a sense of common cause because of prejudices
0: against the Uyghur community? Is there like an anti-Muslim?
1: That's probably part of it. But that's a that is a weird aspect of how a group of people of color. Yeah. Okay. Many of them actually ran in the municipal elections and, and lost welcoming somebody like Faith Goldie into their organizing and their activities and then finding common cause on refugees. These are Chinese Canadians.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to act totally shocked. I mean, the, the, the phenomenon, especially of older generations of new Canadian
1: communities. I mean, some of these people are young. Some of these people are young, uh-huh. young, young Chinese people. Uh-huh. And I mean, that's again, this is me doing the media magnifying glass thing again, where this is a very small group of people, but they're very loud. They started their organizing around the hijab hoax incident where a hijab-wearing 11-year-old girl Even Scarborough said her, her hijab was cut by an Asian man and then had to recant it because, you know, she's young and it didn't happen. So pitting the, the idea of an Islamophobic Asian man and it turned out to
0: have not happened and yeah. then you've got the tensions between these two communities. Uh, and then this,
1: a... this, this, this group of people came out and started asking the prime minister to apologize and, and that kind of thing. They represent the extreme culmination or representation of how far-right messaging, uh, what far-right messaging can produce when it meets a community of color, for example. It mm-hmm. can happen. This can happen. It doesn't represent a huge amount of, necessarily right now, represent a huge amount of the Chinese-Canadian community, which is now finally, I think, being organized by NDP candidates or other candidates who are focusing on health care, labor, job availability. These important uh, issues that are, like, important to newcomers, but they never got picked up by mm-hmm. progressive politicians or organizers. And the right wing has been filling that vacuum. So you're finally seeing some parity there, I think, in terms of, of grassroots organizing.
0: I'll, I'll run a, a, a different uh, hypothesis past you, which is to say maybe the reason why this stuff has failed to be a real force in this last election is because of the work that you're doing and some of the work that, that our people have been doing, like because we had the benefit of seeing how this kind of snuck under the radar on the United States, we did put a magnifying glass on these people. And, you know, explicitly in a lot of the agendas and the secret planning that's been exposed from some of these groups is the Richard Spencer effect of like, don't show up in a white hood, dress respectably, speak reasonably and don't yell and you can get your ideas onto the main stage. You can normalize and launder these ideas and uh, the other guy will look crazy for calling you a Nazi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And or punching you, and then it's all about it turns out. Yeah, like yeah. That. Who who who's the violent thug here? Yeah. So a beat has kind of sprung up in Canada where we have had your colleague advice, Mac Lamaru, in, in, in various forums of you know, finding
1: the Nazi in the armed forces. He's the and, one and, and he's actually the one always in those forums. <laughs> right. In
0: the three percent. So yeah, he 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 would have the view from the forums yeah. at the rallies you know you could say that the media is blowing this out of proportion I always hoped we were shining a light on it and, and not letting people get away. If they gesture towards some online meme and they think they're speaking in a secret tongue, mm-hmm. decoding that, doing the work of sitting through hours and hours and hours of uh, video, I mean, just the amount of media these people produce is, mm-hmm. is copious. Maybe we didn't let them get away with it and the public was uh, – the receipts were in hand mm-hmm. and they were not able to present themselves as, as normalized and that – I agree. Maybe that worked. Maybe journalism did its job. I mean, that's, people are going to hear that and be like, "You're that's that's ridiculously self-congratulatory. But I do think that there was a cumulative effect of all these different news organizations paying attention to this stuff and taking it seriously.
1: I don't think I'm being an advocate when I say that it's necessary to point out that some of these people, like when you interview them, please keep in mind that they've done this or they've said this. Yeah. OK? That's not – that's just the truth, OK? And – if that doesn't happen, what's going to happen is that that stuff stays under the radar and they become regular features in the mainstream media.
0: Well, Andrew Scheer appeared on The Rebel as that rose in prominence, as that thing that started it, I don't, you know, in Israel Levant's bedroom after, you know, yeah. I remember that video from his kitchen when he launched the thing. <laughs> um, and he was playing the underdog card, you know, Sun News Network is in shambles. I'm going to start this grassroots thing. Huh. As that became a, like, a really, like... For, there was a moment there where it was it was the Canadian media success story. You saw mm-hmm. conservatives say, "Okay, I, I I want in," and I think it was only by documenting everything they had done from you know claiming that Muslims were behind the Quebec mosque shooting and yeah. everything else yeah. that eventually you 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 put them in that category where you you, you put the question to an Andrew Shear and say, "Are you still going to talk to these guys?" That's right, and yeah. at a certain point, he says, "No, I'm not."
1: Yeah,
0: I want to talk about that a little bit. I I I think that there's also you know that like wrestle not with uh, m- monsters lest you become one kind mm-hmm. of like like it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's gross work mm-hmm. and it's not the kind of work that I thought we were getting into trying to turn a lens on, you know, the Globe and Mail and the CBC and finding yourself doing like much more coverage. Than we ever thought of of the Ezra Levants of the world, mm-hmm. because it wasn't that long ago, six years ago, that he was kind of a footnote, a joke. Sun News Network had notoriously shitty ratings; nobody cared about this stuff, and it was kind of funny that they were trying to sell this disgusting stuff to Canadians, and Canadians weren't buying. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, way before that, an era where the only time you would see an actual live KKK member in the media would be like on some trashy daytime talk show with like Donahue or Geraldo or something. Mm. And it sort of sullied them, mm-hmm. even though they were taking the moral high ground, and you know, they weren't they certainly weren't trying to uh, glorify them. just the very fact that they would recognize their existence, like why why did you find this one fringe weirdo?? Right. So where I'm going with this is is that it was with some trepidation that we, got into those forums and started to do those kind, that kind of reporting and saying, okay, let's talk about the fringe weirdos. And we observed a, quite a bit of, of uh, criticism for like, are, are you not signal boosting them? Are you not mm-hmm. amplifying them? Are you mm-hmm. not doing that media microscope thing where you're actually turning something that isn't a thing into a thing? Are we allowed to
1: ignore them again? The broad, short answer is no. Like, right after the Quebec shooting happened in on J- January 2017, I think about a month, less than a month after that, there were two thousand people who uh, came out to protest. I don't know what they, I don't know what to call them, like other than Islamophobes who came out to right in front of the uh, main downtown mosque, yeah, with signs protesting, just like I don't know, Islam or Muslims or whatever, like just in ge- Islam in general. I don't even know what their their message is really, like saying the Quran is uh, you know a murderous text that the, the the Prophet Muhammad is um, is a rapist, pedophile, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to say what they say they're saying. They say that they're not racist because they're against a religion, mm-hmm. not a race. Yeah. And they say that they're against legislation and that this is a valid protest for those reasons. Yeah. And yet I think it's it's simply plain that if you have an anti-Jewish rally, you don't like Jews. Oh, it's If totally... you have an anti-Muslim—anyhow, this is yeah. this is established territory. Yeah. It's a racist rally.
1: Yeah, so do you ignore that? You ignore that rally? I don't think so. I'm not going to ignore it as a Muslim person who I'm seeing this kind of thing bubbling up. Yeah. Okay, and I'm saying to you, like, the question is, does this society have real safeguards against these people participating in established electoral politics? And that's the main question that many people of color who are first and foremost affected by this kind of thing are asking themselves. Okay, so a quarter million people get to vote for the PPC and Maxime Bernier uh, this year. Are we just going to bank on the fact that this is never going to happen again or might it happen again? This question needs to be kept alive in the conversation with regards to to Canada or Canadian politics, and social issues in general. Mm -hmm. And the media has to play a role in that. And you can't do that without pointing to a group like Wexit or a group like, you know, the PBC and saying, look, that's that's a thing like WEGZIT is now going for official party status. You don't have to cover every single rally. You don't have to do this and the other. But if they're going for official party status and they are who they are with their past, then you should say it. You should say, yeah. like, OK, you know, pay as much attention as you want to this. But it exists. Right. And. There's no, other than the goodwill of my neighbor, there's nothing stopping them from getting more votes. Yeah. I mean, what is there? There's some law that says that they can't get more votes? No. Like, I'm banking on the political climate of my riding or, like, my city or my region for this to happen or not to happen. Like, of course, you ought to keep an eye on that.
0: Yeah. The things that give me concern is the conservatives are going to have to figure out a distinguishing message of what they are and what they're offering. Yeah. And this is just sitting there as a very popular – I don't know where else they turned. Like do they turn more to the center? Like it doesn't seem like that would be a winning strategy. And then I guess you've got the fact that like I do sense that all of these different factions have kind of been blown to smithereens. And I think it's kind of embarrassing to associate with the People's Party. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, you've got all these different pockets – But I know that what you're saying is true, that like what unites the Chinese communities who feel this way with the Wexiters, with the Sons of Odin, with the Proud Boy, what unites them all? The things that they can all get together on is anti-immigration and specifically anti-Islamic.
1: Anti-immigration. And a
0: hatred of Justin Trudeau. A violent violent sense of hatred about Justin Trudeau.
1: Like the real Canada is being buried by the rise of globalist, uh, I don't know... Money or politics. Jews? Jews. Yeah. They 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 don't like Jews. Jews. Yeah, that that that's always worked. Look, I, I guess I'll just say like it's embarrassing to associate these people when it's you and me. It'd be embarrassing if I came out next year and I'm like, yo, I'm I'm gonna be the conservative candidate for this riding, and I start peddling this kind of uh, messaging and associating with people on the far right. Mm-hmm. Okay, but for much of Canada, is probably oblivious to the fact that. There's a huge divide in this country where a large group of people, and I think right now we know that many of them are in the western region of this country they don't see it that way. you know they don't see like they just simply don't see that associating with somebody like something like wexit is is not a is not a good thing like they genuinely believe and premiers are trying to galvanize people there via this, like, sentiment of Western alienation. Like, they recognize it. Yeah. And a part of the bulk of the population there, they genuinely do believe in in what we were talking about.
0: Well, I think it's not simply that we can't take for granted that the default dismissal and, and even derision that, uh, you know, Wexit just sounds like a joke, and these ideas of Western separatism have been around a long time, and they, they, they do seem quite silly to us sitting here in this Toronto studio. Are ridicule of that and our dismissal of that is like super fuel that there are people in Toronto who are laughing at them or or laughing at this concept. That's a a resentment that actually is is, is an energy that, uh, you know, uh, it's
1: powerful. Definitely. It definitely is. And I'm just not uh, ready to say that this is such a small thing. Where do you draw the line between the person who's super troubled by Western alienation believes that Ottawa is, is really terrible and has been taking advantage of Alberta or, you know, Saskatchewan or whatever, and giving all the equalization money to Quebec. And that kind of just basic fundamental sentiment is ripe for being kind of galvanized, or I don't want to use the term, like harvested. Leveraged. By, leveraged know? by fringe movements. Yeah. And that's not, it's not fringe. That sentiment's not fringe. Like the movement, the campaign, and maybe a little fringe, like Brexit. Okay, like what are you gonna do? Like, be a landlocked country between, like, yeah, you know, surrounded by Canada and the United States. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? But the sentiment's not fringe.
0: No, but you know, resources are limited. I mean, we we have to make decisions here about are we gonna keep giving this the level of scrutiny that we've been giving it. Fair enough. You're yeah. a journalist who has a practice where you have a lot of discretion as to what you cover. What do you think? Are you going to continue to dedicate your resource to this stuff? Is that, is that where you see your time best spent?
1: Well, I mean, part of it is isn't. I think it's useful to mention that a lot of this work is done by activists on the ground. People who call themselves uh, anti-fascists yeah. on the ground. and. There is, um, well, I don't know if he'd call himself anti-fascist, but there's the Anti-Racist Canada uh, Block Spot Collective.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the anti-hate uh, group is... Uh, anti-hate group Canada. Evan Balgord uh, used to write freelance pieces for us, and that, I yeah. think, is now his, his primary focus.
1: Right. And then and you've got
0: just, like, a, a Twitter account, like Yellow Vest
1: Exposed. Oh, no, exactly, yes. Does and a tremendous amount of this they work. They do, and a lot of my reporting took from the things that they've compiled. Yeah. And they make it very easy, I think, for, you know, if the average Canadian wants to spend some time... Looking into this stuff, it's not hard. So I don't I don't know if it's like, will I keep covering it? Like, yeah. I mean if there's like ten rallies for Wexit in, in Alberta and they're all drawing like five hundred people. I'm not gonna do ten articles on ten rallies. Yeah. But if one of these days they come out with two thousand people. Okay, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to mention that. And I'll be like, by the way, this happened. Okay, what well, you can draw whatever conclusions you, you wanna draw from that. And if they become an official party, for example, you should probably mention that too. So it it just depends. Put it on the record. Yeah. Stephen Joe, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, that's your Canada Land for this week. If you liked it or anything we do, all I want you to do is support us. Crowdfunding is on and we need all the help we can get at patreon.com slash Canada Land. My email is jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send us. We are on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where you'll find a new episode of Commons Dynasties this week, The Rizzutos. As if I didn't have enough problems. This episode is produced by Jordan Cornish. Kasha Mihailovich is our senior producer. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. This is where I say it again, so I guess I'll just say it again. Please support us, patreon.com CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.